So this afternoon I'd like to say a few words about the practice of compassion and, um, and then do a guided meditation uh, on compassion. So Gina spoke very beautifully about this quality last night. And at this point in the retreat, as you've been developing metta, developing kindness, that when that kind heart touches pain or sorrow or suffering of ourselves or another of the world, then often what arises is this quality, this feeling, this sense of care, of concern, of empathy, of wishing to relieve the suffering. Um, The Buddha called it a quivering of the heart. It's where we actually feel some resonance of the suffering in our own being in response to the suffering that we are encountering or seeing. So um, it's a very beautiful, very tender quality. It can also be very fierce uh, in its responsiveness. Um, And it's something we can cultivate, just like we can cultivate this quality of kindness, of friendliness. We can cultivate this quality of compassion and um, mostly by turning towards and leaning into suffering. So mostly when we encounter suffering in ourselves or in, in, in life, we recoil, right? Because it's painful. We want to get rid of it. We want to avoid it. We want it to go away. And this compassionate quality of the heart is a quality that has some, uh, some courage and some strength in it in that it's able to stay steady in the face of pain and to not contract, to not reject, to, um, to stay open to and to stay in a, in a heartfelt response to it. So I want to read a couple of things. The first is by Danny Goldman, who's written all the books around intelligence, social intelligence, and emotional intelligence, and ecological intelligence. He says, the act of compassion begins with full attention, just as rapport does. You have to really see the person. If you see the person, then naturally empathy arises. If you tune into the other person, you feel with them. If empathy arises, and if that person is in dire need, then empathic concern can come. You want to help them, and then that begins a compassionate act. So I'd say that compassion begins with attention. In the same way that I talked about matter arises with attention. Compassion also arises with this attention that's turned towards suffering, our pain of ourselves or others. So some people might say, well, why would I want to turn towards suffering? It sucks, you know. (laughs) 
why don't I turn towards the sunshine and the light, you know, and <coughs> go dancing and play happy music, and, you know, that sounds like a lot more fun to me. Well, that's, we can do that, you know, highly recommend it. Um, but not as an avoidance or a running away from suffering, because we can't run away from suffering. Wherever we run, it will find us. You know, suffering is part of being in this human body, this fragile, vulnerable body with a heart that feels. So, um, so since that's true, then it makes sense to learn how to respond to it wisely. Otherwise, we spend our lives running away from ourselves, from each other, from the pain of the world, and we live in denial. And as Ajahn Chah says, as we run away from suffering, we run towards it. So most of the time, our avoidance strategies create more suffering, as you probably know. So, um, so here you are developing this field of kindness, field of warmth, of friendliness. And it's actually a really good place to practice this uh, quality, develop this quality, because uh, as many of you have spoken to, you know, there's a lot of pain and suffering comes up when we do a retreat, when we cultivate metta, because we start encountering all the obstacles to our hearts being open, all the pain, all the hardness of heart, all the self-judgment, all the envy, all the jealousy, all the challenges we've had in relationships. So um, what better place to, to attune to the suffering? And in, in some ways, it's very, very close to metta. The, the, it's just a refraction of the lens. So, um, uh, so in some ways, it can feel quite similar. It's a, it's a, it, it has a more tender quality. Uh, and a more empathic quality. And um, so the, the, in the practice, just like in the metta practice, the metta bhavna practice, um, we use phrases that, that, are, that are more attuned to suffering. So the main phrase is, may you be free of pain and suffering. That's just as the heart wishes another to be well, to be happy, right? We all want life to be well and happy. We also want life to be free of pain, you know. Even though we know it's impossible to be free of pain and suffering, we still want ourselves and our loved ones and people we know to be free of pain and suffering. It's what the heart wishes for. So that's the basic wish of compassion. May you be free of pain and suffering. Another couple of phrases that people use, one is, I care about you, or I care that you're suffering. And another phrase is, uh, may you hold your suffering with kindness and ease. May you bear your suffering with ease. So knowing that it might not be so easy for the suffering to, to, to disappear, but we, we also ask that, you know, we wish this person holds their current burden with some ease, or ourselves. So, um, so I'll guide us through some different stages. 
and um, we'll be saying these phrases or phrases that you might want to tinker with them a little bit that speak to you. I use one or all three of the phrases or some other phrases that you know. So I'll read this story, um, which is a beautiful compassion story from Dr. Richard Selzer. It goes like this. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. As surgeon, I had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me in private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth who gaze and touch each other so generously. The woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say, it's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. And mindful of my presence, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I'm so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers to show her that their kiss will still work. I remember that the gods appeared in ancient Rome, in ancient Greece, as mortals, and I hold my breath and let the wonder in. So that's a story that speaks to compassion, not just, also, not just being an internal quality, but also a way that we respond with sometimes beautiful attunement to the suffering that we meet in the world. So let's sit together, find a comfortable posture, And just feeling what's present in your heart. Sometimes that story evokes a lot for people. Feeling the breath in your chest, in your heart center. And first we call to mind a dear friend, but a friend who is currently struggling, who is suffering in some way. And as we know, there are many ways to suffer. Someone could be feeling, having a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. They could be experiencing a lot of loss from loss of relationship, or work, or money, or status, loss of children, or just a difficult period in their lives with health, with their mental health. We 
if there are certain crises. So calling someone to mind, someone you know and love who is, who is struggling or is suffering, is in some kind of pain. So calling this person to mind, holding them in your heart, on your mind's eye, saying their name, and sensing into their suffering. Compassion is to compassion, to feel with, to feel the suffering of another. So we let that suffering in for a moment. And then we extend these wishes, this intention of kindness, I care about you. I care that you're suffering. May you be free of pain and suffering. May you hold your suffering with ease, with kindness. Staying fully connected to this person without getting lost in this thoughts about them. And just repeating these wishes. I care about you. I care that you're suffering. May you be free of pain and suffering. May you hold your suffering with ease.
If you find that you get overwhelmed with the suffering and the pain, then you turn the, the orientation of the practice towards yourself. So maybe we can just all do that right now. So letting this person go, turning the attention to ourselves, and attuning to our own difficulty, our own sorrow, our own stress, or anxiety, or fear, the ways that we feel worthless or hopeless or unlovable. So holding our hearts with this, holding ourselves with this attitude of care. And this isn't necessarily easy to do, so it's a practice. We make the intention. And we offer these phrases to ourselves. I care about you. I care about myself. May I be free of pain and suffering. May I hold my suffering with ease. Breathing through the heart. May I be free of pain and suffering. May I hold this pain, this difficulty with ease, with kindness. May I not turn away from myself. Maybe you're in touch with the pain of your body, the pain of your heart. You can put your hand over your heart if that helps. And even if you're not so in touch with the pain that you carry ordinarily, you can still wish yourself to be free of pain, of suffering. May I be free of mental suffering, all the ways that I torture myself with my mind. May I be free of physical suffering. hold my suffering with 
gentleness and ease and kindness. And we can stay with ourselves if we want to do that. Or we can call to mind our benefactor if they're alive, or a family member. Again, somebody we know who nobody is immune to pain and suffering in this world. Everybody has their own burden to carry. So calling to mind someone we know and love, who again may be particularly struggling right now. Hold them in your heart, your mind, sensing that difficulty, that pain. May you too be free from pain and suffering. May you hold yourself in this difficulty with kindness, with gentleness, with ease.
Now extending this wish to everybody here in the room. People you know, people you don't know. What we do know is that we're all human, all subject to pain and loss and sorrow. We extend our hearts to everybody here. May we all be free from pain and suffering. Hold our suffering with kindness and ease. And then extending this wish outwards. In whatever direction calls you, you may be called to other people you know who are suffering. You may wish to spend a few moments wishing them to be free of their own difficulty. Or the heart may be pulled to places in the world where we know there's tremendous suffering. Those who are languishing in prison, those people in Haiti without shelter, without family, without parents, without work, without money, without security. May they too be free from pain and suffering. May they hold themselves with kindness, with ease through their suffering. May they be held with kindness Or to the people who are suffering loss of a loved one because of health, because of warfare, violence.
all those who are homeless, sleeping out in the bitter cold, May they too be free from pain and suffering. Even though we may sense the scale of suffering to be immense, the heart still wishes all beings, all life to be free of suffering. the whales who are deafened by naval sonar, the polar bears who are struggling to find enough ice flow to live, may all creatures be free of pain and suffering. beings everywhere, all peoples, all creatures, all life forms, including ourselves, be free from pain and suffering. Hold their suffering with kindness and ease. So when we don't fight the pain, when we don't fight the suffering, in that moment, we actually stop suffering. When we don't fight the grief or the loss, there's just what is. There's just the loss. There's just the sadness. There's just the sorrow. When we struggle and fight and resist, and complain and all of that, that's when we add suffering to the suffering. So as you can see, it's is a very heartful practice. You just tell by looking at you and hearing the sniffles and the tears that um, you know, in the sensitive place that you're in, that it's, it's quite easily, easy to be touched by the suffering, your own suffering, the suffering of others, loved ones. 
So feel free to do this practice in the formal way that we did today, or to simply, when you encounter suffering in the day or in your meditation, to just add those phrases. Sometimes it's more appropriate when we're really feeling our own pain or feeling the pain of our loved ones, our friends, our benefactor. Uh, It feels more appropriate instead of wishing them to be happy when we know they're feeling absolutely wretched to wish them to be free of suffering, free of their pain, or at least to hold their pain with some ease, some kindness. And in our lives, when we, you know, going about our day or watching the news or wherever we are, we can continue that practice, continue that wish. May you be free of suffering. May you be free of pain. So like metta, compassion, these, these, these brahma-viharas, they're boundless qualities of the heart. And ultimately they are non-preferential. And they also are paradoxical in the sense that to sometimes to the rational mind, it doesn't make sense to wish that all beings be free of suffering because we know that for some beings to live, they need to live, they need to eat other beings. So how can, how can it be possible that all beings be free of suffering when we know that life eats, each, life eats each other? That may be true, and we still want all beings to be free of suffering. The heart, that's the heart's wish. So if, if your mind is stirring with this is illogical or impossible, it's true. It's impossible for this realm to be free of suffering, and yet the heart wishes all things to be free of pain. It's just what the heart wishes. So does anybody have any questions about your experience of doing this practice? Yeah. And if you have the maturity, then forgiveness, compassion, which I feel she was doing. Um, and I, I felt strongly that I wanted to stay in practice for him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I kind of felt like I needed to stay for myself. And I was, <coughs> I, I, I wasn't, I got sort of confused. Mm-hmm. So the question's about um, wanting to do the, do the compassion practice for her father who died 11 years ago, and yet also seeing or feeling like she needed to do it for herself. So, um, so do it to both. You know? um, often when we, we wish to extend this feeling of compassion, to others, we also 
touch into our own well of grief and sorrow and loss and regret, particularly if someone's died. So we are the ones in that moment who are suffering. So it's appropriate also to include ourselves, you know. So often this is like the meta practice. You know, we teach it in these, in these categories, in these stages, but it's very fluid. It's important to be responsive. You know, when, we, when we're overwhelmed with sorrow in that moment, then we turn the practice back to ourselves. May I be well, may I be free from sorrow, may I be at ease. And then when, when, that, when that softens and we go back to, in this case, your father and wishing him to be free of suffering. And, and so it goes like that. Other questions? Yeah. I find it overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So the question is, she finds it overwhelming. How to work with that? So um, it can be overwhelming. So um, the, the the near adversary of compassion, one of the near adversaries of compassion, is overwhelm where we lose the quality of um, equanimity. And, it, you know, these, these, the, the Brahmaviharas, love, kind of love, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity, uh, they sort of work together. And for compassion to be in its fullest, in its, in its most you know, ripened state, and in a more, in more mature and strengthened way, it has to have the quality of equanimity. Otherwise, the suffering of the world is too much, is too difficult to bear. And the quality of equanimity is when we, when we cease to resist the truth of what is. So, so often we struggle with suffering because we feel it's not fair, it's not right, this person didn't deserve that, why did, why did this child of 11 die of cancer, what, you know, what did they do to deserve that? And, or why did these people in Afghanistan deserve to be bombed? You know, the mind struggles with reality. Equanimity is this capacity to meet the reality of what is without resistance. And so when we're turning towards suffering, when we can allow the truth of that, it actually gives us support to to compassion. So, and having said that, there are times when we just feel overwhelmed, either by our own pain, the pain of the, our loved ones, the pain of the world, but for sure there's so much pain in the world. So we, um, you know, again, this idea of practice being an appropriate response, in that moment, we need to shift our attention away from that which is creating the overwhelm. So we, we shift our attention, say, from wishing metta to people in Haiti or whatever it is that was triggering the overwhelm. We come back to ourselves. We wish ourselves compassion. We wish ourselves metta. If that's still too difficult, then when we just sit with mindfulness, you know, if it pervades, you know, maybe we get up and we do some walking practice. We go have a cup of tea. We, we do whatever helps us come back to balance, which is not denial or avoidance. It's just we need to come back to balance. Because without balance, without awareness, without capacity to stay in the present moment with awareness, we, we're, not, we're, not, we're not serving ourselves. Right? So, so we open to, to the suffering, and, it's, and at times we go, okay, enough. You know, compassion, overwhelm, fatigue, 
you know. So, for instance, in our lives, you know, I, just like I think Gina mentioned, or somebody mentioned, you know, we don't have to watch the news every night. We don't have to read the paper every day because it's overwhelming. You know, we know that there's crises and tragedies and suffering happening every day. And it's, at times, it's not helpful, not skillful to keep exposing ourselves because the heart just gets completely overwhelmed. Because we're not, you know, in evolutionary terms, we're not used to knowing the scale of human suffering in every moment. You know, we perhaps know, know the, knew the suffering of our family or friends or our neighbors or our village. You know, that's, that's plenty right there. So to be kind to ourselves, you know, a compassionate response to that is to know our limitations. You know, not to judge them, just, oh, this is too much, I need to back off a little. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How do we know when uh, compassion is the appropriate response? I guess it's probably always appropriate, but it seems like a lot of compassion is being Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm really present with that pain. Right. Yeah, it's a good question. So the question is about how do we how do we avoid compassion just leading to some kind of inactivity or passivity of just accepting the pain but not actually responding. Is that yeah. So um, you know, really the com- compassion as it's understood is there's two aspects to it. There's the feeling in the heart of, of wishing others to be free of pain. And there's also the responsiveness. And the responsiveness is, compassion is often talked about as a verb. It's, it's an active, dynamic quality that doesn't just feel the sorrow of the world, but actually is moved in, in, in some way to act. Not to act out of aversion because you can't deal with the suffering, but because you want to relieve the suffering. So... Um, so it's both a feeling state and it's also a dynamic call to action in some way. So, and, that, and when we listen to that, and part of the equanimity practice is also listening, having equanimity with our response. You know, and sometimes that response is one of wanting to relieve and do something about it in a very dynamic, active, concrete way. Sometimes we can't do anything about it. And that's where we have to work with the practice of compassion to just feel, you know, if someone's dying of cancer and we love them, we've we've done everything we can to help them, in that moment, we just have to be with the pain and the sorrow and the difficulty of that. But but there are many situations and many times that we can do something. So we allow that open-heartedness to to move us, to fuel our response to, to, to suffering. So it's important to listen to that. And, you know, as we know, the world needs a lot of compassionate response. What the world is suffering from is an overwhelm of uh, numbness, numbness and denial. And so as we feel, as we open our hearts to the suffering, it actually, uh, I think, supports a movement of action. How that looks is, 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 you know, it could look a million ways. 
so, okay. So when a good buddy of mine um, heard about the, you know, the, uh, the tragedy in, in of Hurricane Katrina, he got in his wagon, he had a big truck, loaded up with food and medical supplies and just drove four, four days straight just to get there. You know, some people it can look very different. You know, So some people flew to Haiti, some people sent money, some people, you know, prayed. So our response to suffering is going to look very different. But I think we can be sure that if our heart is open and feeling that there's going to be a response to when our heart is shut down and frozen that we get, that we, that we get frozen. Okay. Yeah. Um, what if you have the opposite problem of feeling like underwhelmed or not wanting to go there really? Like you sense that the emotion is going to be really strong so instead like I shy away and then I just sit feeling nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a good question. So the question is, you know, what if we're feeling underwhelmed where we feel like we don't want to go towards the suffering and we sort of back off and shy away from the pain? And so what, what happened when you did that? I just focused on the pain in my body. Uh-huh. So how did you feel in response to your body being in pain? I tried to focus the metta in my body, so mm-hmm. that's pretty much what I sat there and did. So, um, so the, 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 I think the key point was, was really not wanting to feel the suffering of the other, right? And that's very common, you know. Um, we often, you know, you know, the mind, as I said earlier, the mind, the mind's response is, why would I want to do that? <laughs> why would I want to feel the suffering of another? You know, I've got enough of my own suffering, thanks very much. And she's feeling, you know, pain of her legs. And so, um, you know, we have to, uh, you know, th- this is a practice, so in some way we're in an artificial situation to some degree, unless, of course, the suffering is very real in the present moment, which I know for many of you it is right now. <coughs> but um, just like with the meta practice, we do these practices kind of like a training ground. So we, we train in the meditation, so when we meet suffering in our lives, with people we know and don't know, there's, there's more capacity, more chance that that response is there. So, um, uh, so we don't actively have to go seeking it out. And I understand that the part of us that doesn't want to go towards pain, um, I would just invite you to look at what happens in yourself when you shy away from people who are suffering. You know, the, the extent that we, we shy away from our own pain to the extent that we'll shy away from pain in, in, in others, and to some degree vice versa. 
So, um, you know, and, and, and our capacity to, to work with pain and hold pain grows as we, as, we, as we mature. And, you know, I had a friend who um, was an old friend from India, and um, she uh, had a lot of pain in her life. And uh, we were good friends, but there was always a part of, there was always uh, a part of, there was a certain depth we couldn't go to because I couldn't open to the depth of her pain because I really, because I hadn't really learned how to open to my own pain. And she reminded me of my own pain. So there was a way that I kept her at a slight distance. And uh, one year, as I mentioned the other day, I'm going through this very difficult long retreat and difficult period in my life where I really had no choice but to open to my own pain. She was actually sitting that, that three-month retreat. And at the end of the retreat, I noticed my heart was completely open to her. It completely was welcoming all of her because I'd really opened to and welcomed the pain in myself. There was no resistance to her. So it transformed that relationship. So, um, uh, you know, we start with where we are. We start with opening to whatever level of discomfort or pain that we have in ourselves or others. And mostly we start with ourselves, actually. So with it, when you have the pain in your body, to see if there's that metaphor, compassionate, kind response to it. You know, may I be free of pain and suffering? May I hold this physical pain with ease? And that's why I think it's really important, since so many of us have a difficult relationship with ourselves and... and, and and so harsh with ourselves and reject ourselves, that it's important we learn how to turn this quality of compassionate kindness to ourselves. Because the more we do that here, the more we can extend it outwards. So the question's about how we relate to our own suffering, and in particular, she's noticing she doesn't really want to... That her own suffering feels so much lesser than, or less less important, or less real than people around you, and so not wanting to take it seriously. Um, You know, it's a very common response. We 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 either deny our own pain or underestimate it or look and think, well, you know, this is nothing. You think about the people in Haiti or in Rwanda or, you know, so, and we just, so we, we just, we steamroll over our pain. We reject ourselves. And basically we're just hardening our heart to ourselves. And as we harden our heart to ourselves, we harden our hearts to the world. It's, it flows in that way, you know. And so, um, so if you can feel feel into the pain of the way that you harden or to yourself around your own pain. 
right? Which sort of might feel counterintuitive because you don't want to go there in the first place. So why would I want to open to the hardening, you know? So, um, to, but just to feel what that's like, to be curious. What's it like when I either reject my pain or dismiss it as not important or as not, not as real or not as deep as somebody else's? Just what does that feel like in your body? What does that feel like in your heart to have that attitude? Because, you know, that will, that attitude will manifest outwardly as well as inwardly. So, um, so I would just suggest just holding that, that whole dynamic with, with, with a kind attention, you know, to feel the suffering of that, because it's suffering. You know, if we look deeply enough, it's suffering to dismiss our own pain. Pain is pain. Suffering is suffering. Whether it's here or in Haiti or somewhere, pain is pain. And yes, there are degrees of pain, but pain is pain. Suffering is suffering. And um, to dismiss our own pain is a kind of violent act, actually, because we're, we're harming ourselves in a way. So, um, so just to hang out with it, hang out. What, what's it like? You know, be curious, feel into it, Not without any judgment. You know, we, we, are, we, are, we are where we are. And... Um, and just feel into it, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. the back. Um, what is your ownership in this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question's about what she's calling overshooting the mark, where you're in a relationship with somebody and they're in a long-term physical health challenge, and your relationship becomes more about <coughs> that issue. And it sounds like there's some concern about being overly caring or overly helping or over-concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we're close to somebody who has a long-term health illness, um, it's hard. It's as, you know, it can be as equally hard for the caregiver or the one who's closest to them and the person who has the health issue gets most of the attention and the people around them often don't and it's very challenging how to hold that. I have a dear friend of mine, this young, healthy man, beautiful man who has Parkinson's and um, had it for three or four years and is you know, deteriorating and, um, and I have to be very careful not to relate to him as, as through his Parkinson's. You know, Yes, he has tremors and he has certain other issues that come with that diagnosis, but he's not his Parkinson's. He's still his own being and does not want to be related to as the victim patient with Parkinson's. He wants to be related to as my friend. And so it, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, we, 
we also need compassion with ourselves that we do the best we can, we have a good intention, and inevitably we mess up. Life is about going from one mess to another, you know. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> you know. We mess up and we forgive and we apologize and we learn and we make an intention and we mess up and we, you know, we do the best we can. And we have to have compassion with them for their, for their suffering. We have compassion for how hard it is to, to be in relationship with that. It's not easy. You know, being in relationship, period, is difficult. Never mind someone who has a difficult long-term medical condition. You know, it's, it's hard. And so, so be forgiving with yourself, knowing that, you know, I trust that you, you have the, the, the highest intention. It's hard being in this body and mind, and even harder being in relationship. So the more we can be forgiving of ourselves, you know, and kind, you know. And so when we do mess up, which we will inevitably, maybe every day, you know, then there's that, you know, as we practice matter and compassion, there's some there's some possibility of a kind response, a forgiving response. You know, we're human. So trust in your, take faith in, in, in your intention, you know. Yeah. So kind of pragmatically, because the Buddha gave us these wonderful tools, so now I have, you know, connected, every, when you talked about Started to get a little like, ooh, how do I, how do I work, work these? Kind of so. So I want to be pragmatic for a second and get your application. So mm, scenario actually did happen. My daughter's boyfriend had really become part of the family, and they broke up, and we were all. devastated and we all love him very dearly and every time I looked at his picture on the fridge with them hiking and the dog I would start to cry because I truly love him so it makes sense to me to immediately my heart goes out to him with love so metta seems like a natural application but really what hurt when I looked was that he was suffering I mean, I was suffering, but I came to work with mine, but I mm-hmm. just really... So, practically speaking, I have, I have these tools, and then a little equanimity, because, you know, about having to apply restraint, not being able to see him, know how he's doing, you know, the whole thing. In terms of the practice, you, I can understand having a daily and an on-the-spot practice with both of them. Like, in a sense, does it matter what you do? Do you work and see how you work it? I mean, are, so are these all just stripes on the beach ball? Yeah. Just open your heart. That makes it easy. Everybody had a question? <laughs> <laughs> I figured not. So the question, if I can summarize it, is basically 
without sort of reiterating the content of it. Um, you know, when we're faced with real life people and situations, um, you know, with people we love that we want to wish metaphor, we often, at times, there are often situations where they're also suffering and, you know, in terms of practical technique, do we practice metta? Do we practice compassion? Are they the same? Are they different stripes on the beach ball? Um, so they ultimately all merge. Um, they're skillful means to point to different qualities, but you know, as we practice metta and we're feeling metta and we're f- wishing it for our friend, and then we remember about their recent, you know, loss. And then we, the, the, in, that, in that moment, the flavor of, of kindness becomes concern and empathy. It's all the same. It's just the heart responding with warmth, with kindness, with care. And whether we offer a meta phrase, whether we offer a compassion phrase, ultimately, if the feeling of the heart is there, it doesn't really matter. You know, it, these are, these are all these techniques and practices, they all lead to developing a kind, compassionate presence with ourselves, with each other, with the world. And there are many techniques that support that, but ultimately it's about, you know, the manifestation of that kind, caring heart. So, so don't get too, you know, when you're doing your meta practice and mm, shall, I, shall I do meta now? Shall I do compassion? I don't know. They were suffering, but now they're happy. But sometimes they're happy and suffering. And sometimes they're happier than me, but their suffering is deeper than mine. So do I, I don't know, do I do, I do mudita? No, I don't know. I don't want to wish them more happiness because I'm already jealous enough. And, and I'm really suffering. My mind, I'm just so stressed out. I'm, I'm really... <laughs> so what happened to my equanimity? I don't know. So... Um, it's all good. <laughs> the heart moving forward, connecting, kind, you know. And um, yeah, you know, I, I find, you know, I, I've done these practices a long time now, so I feel like I do have some fluency with them. And, and basically just the heart, you know, the heart is, is kind and is warm. And that extends itself to the people that I meet, and it's just that simple, you know. And we all have that capacity. And what I've noticed is these practices really deepen and grow that capacity. It's that simple, you know. It's not, you know, and we can get technique-oriented and all of that, and there's a place for that. But it's really doing the practice, working through the obstacles, working through the blocks, working through our judgments and fears and limitations and, and seeing our common humanity, seeing our vulnerability, our shared humanness and, and wishing well, you know. So, and the more that we open our hearts to ourselves, which isn't easy for many people, it's very, very hard and it can take long, long, long time as it did for me. Um, the reward, you know, going back to the question up here about why would you do that, the reward is, um, 
you know, it's a very beautiful thing to have a, to rest in a heart that's caring and kind, that cares for the world. It's a very beautiful quality. It's beyond happiness and sorrow. It's beyond joy. It's just, it's the sweetness of having an alive heart, you know. And I know you will know that in your own way at times we will touch that. And we have to trust in, in our own heart and our own capacity. You know, to not think, oh, I don't know that that's not my experience, that in some ways I trust that all of you know this and that we're learning to bring it forth. And that's why we practice. And that's why we cultivate, we develop bhavna, we meditate, you know. And it's work. It takes work. You know, you work hard on this retreat. It's not a, it's not a yoga spa retreat, you know. <laughs> I know you would like it to be. <laughs> But, um, you know, my experience is that uh, the deep transformation comes out of the, uh, out of the work, out of, out of grappling with struggle and sorrow and closed heart and all the things that gets in the way. It's like with the, the, when we work hard with that, you know, that's the, the hardest times, sad to say, often are the places that we, we, we grow the most. You know, so as often people have said, you know, it was a really hard retreat, but my heart afterwards was really different. It was really qualitatively more open or more sensitized or more empathic or just a little more caring. And it was such a joy to see that, that I was less fearful, less defensive or more connected, you know. So, um, so trust in your practice, trust in the goodness of your hearts and um, keep practicing. Okay, thank you for your practice. So we have some time for walking. If you have any questions, I'll stay behind if there's anything you want to ask me. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.